So, Caitlin, who are we going to cancel today? Obviously, it has to be the New York Times again. What a callback. How many times have we canceled the New York Times? I mean, how many times are they going to fuck up? Infinitely? Infinitely, unfortunately. (laughs) Hey, everyone. I'm Caitlin Burns. And I'm Olive Rash Klein. And you're listening to Cancel Me, Daddy. The show where we take a closer look at all of the panic round cancel culture. With thoughtful analysis. And verbal shitposting. So, Oliver, we're back. Hey, man, it's been it's been a little too long. Um, I have I have needed a break. I think you have needed a break, but I've also <laughs> really been missing this show, and I feel really bad for just kind of uh, piecing out for a minute. But uh, we need a break. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, we've started to get some messages asking what we were up to, and um, we just had some unforeseen circumstances that that put some delay in our production schedule. We are not going out like the uh, M&M spokescandies over here. So, yeah, we have not been discontinued. We are, in fact, back. OK, I know that jokes aren't funny if you explain them, but I don't <laughs> I don't understand this M&M um, reference because I'm no longer chronically online. And oh so God, I need a little context. Yeah. So <laughs> M&M's candies put out a statement the other day. They were like, okay, we made some changes to our mascot, which I think we talked about previously on this show. Mm-hmm. Where, in fact, I think we had a, an episode about it, or at least a segment, uh, where they made some changes. You know, the the green M&M, I think, used to have, like, these knee-high go-go boots, and they changed them to, like, sneakers. And then Tucker Carlson, like, lost his freaking mind on a show about M&Ms and how they've gone woke or whatever. So they put out this statement where they're basically like, um, we didn't realize that changing our spokes candies would be controversial and therefore we're no longer going to feature our spokes candies in our advertisements. <laughs> and they hired the actress or the comedian Maya Rudolph to uh, to be their new spokesperson for M&M's. I think it's probably part of an elaborate bit for a Super Bowl ad, but guess we'll just have to wait and see either that or or tucker carlson canceled m&ms well yeah you know known participant of the culture war tucker carlson getting somebody canceled say it isn't so i can't believe i'm like defending corporate advertising (laughs) (laughs) i can't believe that's happening on this show right now i hate it (laughs) fuck you tucker carlson (laughs) it's all so stupid what the hell (laughs) So what do we have in store today? Well, I think you had a really good conversation with Michael Hobbs. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, that is a thing we did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, about all of um, the bad trans coverage at the New York Times and in other places. It's a really interesting conversation that is unfortunately um, more timely and relevant than any of us would like it to be. Um, but you and Mike say some real smart things, so I think we should get to it. Yeah, let's do it. Joining us now is a long-time, some might say longest-time friend of the pod. I would say mascot. Mascot of the pod. Mascot of the pod? Yeah, that's a good one. (laughs) Ambassador. Uh, 
you know him from a podcast like maintenance phase and his new one if books could kill which is excellent fully recommend by the way on with us today is michael hobbs michael thanks for coming on uh i always appreciate getting your dms whenever i'm mad about something on twitter and then you're like <laughs> mike come on the show <laughs> let's process this together and now i'm back <laughs> um i hate that it's been so regular lately <laughs> I know, right? Ah, it's because we keep having the same freak out and then we keep trading the same DMs. And I feel like yeah. we just have to do it. <laughs> we have to put it to rest and do it publicly finally. So both of us have kind of been ranting on Twitter for, I'd say a while now, but especially the last two days. Um, yeah. We're recording this on uh, Monday the 23rd. And yesterday there was yet another concern trolling article from the new york times which we found out today was put um on the front page above the fold Ooh. about trans kids and uh sort of soft washing like anti-trans hate groups like Genspecs. um so we we agreed to have michael on last week and uh we had no idea this is going to drop yeah we were like what what should we talk about <laughs> then, then <laughs> all this terrible shit happened that was uh aligned with both of our interests yes yeah so why don't you um tell us a little bit about like the gist of the article and what your takeaways were from it so i think i think the reason why both of us are so frustrated is that this is i don't know the 12th or the 8th or something almost identical article, essentially doing mm -hmm. the same thing. It's always a very prestigious outlet. It's always a very prestigious piece, right? With like uh, dedicated photographs. They're always thousands of words long. It's like a long form, big deal feature on whether it's finally time to ask questions about youth transition. And it's like, we've gotten so many of these and they all have the same aesthetics of like the the tricky debate and like the thorny issue, complicated, challenging debate over essentially trans kids. Are too many kids transitioning too fast? Like essentially, mm -hmm. have we gone too far in the direction of trans acceptance? Which I think both of us like look about the country and are like, no, like firmly <laughs> we have not, but we keep getting these articles doing this weird coy thing of like, well, you know, it's, there, there's some really challenging issues associated with kids transitioning and the issues aren't that challenging. The, the implication is always, for me, it always comes back to, well, uh, should anybody be trans at all? And right, if right, right. prevent that from happening, wouldn't that be a good thing? Is right. what I think people like that. That's the underlying message that I always get from it. And like I started gaslighting myself over this. I'm like, am I misreading this? Like, because this is insane. But yeah, like, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I think all of them are framed around this issue of the the total nightmare, the unthinkable impact of somebody who's not trans transitioning. And they almost never consider what if someone is trans and they're not able to transition? right? Which is all of the evidence that we have from the actual medical system is that there are huge barriers to transition for everybody, including kids. Mm -hmm. And so the majority of kids who are actually trans do not have the opportunity to transition because of their parents or their school, or they don't live near a clinic, or there's too long of a waiting period, or they can't afford it, et cetera. 
And yet, <laughs> despite all these barriers, despite what we know is like the reality of being a trans kid in America, we keep getting these articles about whether too many kids are transitioning too quickly. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's one of these things that there's, when you have no evidence for something, you just keep asking the question, right? Mm-hmm. The, none of these stories are, are, are kind of have the courage of their convictions to come out and say, there are too many kids transitioning because they know that there's no evidence for that. So they do, they're all kind of framed around like, well, it's time to ask the question of whether too many kids are transitioning. And we know what the answer to that question is. And they just completely ignore all of the available evidence. Yeah, I've been, I first started to to grapple as an adult with my trans identity because I shoved it way down deep in, in the darkest places of my soul for a long time. And I really started paying attention to trans news and articles and stuff when it first started rising back to the top and that was about 2008 and we had the same articles back then yeah like it was literally the same articles except it was more socially acceptable for some doctor from uh canada to come in and say well actually uh you know 90 percent of these kids are going to grow out of it if you just follow my easy like five-step program to like torture the trans out of kids. Right. Um, like we've moved beyond the point where those types of articles fly. And we've moved into this sort of other sort of nether region of parachuting into the issue, not having a clue who the actors in the space are. Yeah. And giving really sympathetic, like soft focus attention to actually some really horrific people. And yeah. the New York Times is yeah. actually notorious for doing this. Uh, and right. I can't tell if it's ignorance or apathy at this point, or purposeful. Uh, I have an excerpt from the article. Can I read the excerpt? Yeah. So I, in preparing for this, I, I went through a couple of these articles kind of line by line to try to understand like what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And one of the most pervasive things that we find in essentially all of these articles is that they're always centered on the perspective of parents of trans kids. Right? They're always asking you to consider what would it be like if your daughter, she's 13 and she wants to go on hormones, right? Mm-hmm. It never invites you to empathize with the actual kid. Like what would it be like as a, as a young kid to understand that maybe your gender doesn't match your sex, right? And you're, you're struggling with this and there's no one around you that feels safe. They never ask you to consider that, right? Mm-hmm. So this is the opening paragraphs of the New York Times article that just came out. Uh, it says – Jessica Bradshaw found out that her 15-year-old identified as transgender at school after she glimpsed a homework assignment with an unfamiliar name scrawled at the top. When she asked about the name, the teenager acknowledged that at his request, teachers and administrators at his high school in Southern California for six months had been letting him use the boys' bathroom and calling him male pronouns. Mrs. Bradshaw was confused. Didn't the school need her permission or at least need to tell her? It did not, a counselor later explained, because the student did not want his parents to know. District and state policies instructed the school to respect his wishes. There was never any word from anyone to let us know that on paper and in the classroom, our daughter was our son, Mrs. Bradshaw said. So right off the bat, we're being asked to empathize with this mother who finds out. Imagine, imagine how hurt she must be and imagine how betrayed she is by the school. We don't meet the actual son until five paragraphs later. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it says, 
The student, now 16, told the New York Times that his school had provided him with a space to be himself that he otherwise lacked. He had tried to come out to his parents before, he said, but they didn't take it seriously, which is why he asked his school for support. I wish schools didn't have to hide it from parents or do it without parental permission, but it can be important, he said. Schools are just trying to do what's best to keep students safe and comfortable. When you're trans, you feel like you're in danger all the time. Even though my parents were accepting, I was still scared, and that's why the school didn't tell them. So, like, that's the story. <laughs> yeah. is like a kid being trepidatious about telling his parents. And then it sounds like his fears were, were confirmed. His parents were really uncomfortable with this. And he was able to form a place at school where he felt safe acting out his gender identity and his new name. And <laughs> that is actually kind of like a beautiful thing, really, and something that would not have been possible 30 years ago. Like, that that's real social yeah. advancement. And yet, because this story is being told from the perspective of the mother, we're supposed to see it as some sort of betrayal and some sort of, like, thorny issue of, like, oh, what should schools be doing about this? And it's like, being nice to children? I don't know. This, this doesn't seem like that big of a dilemma to me. <laughs> Um, I, one thing that really shocked me about that article in particular is it's a very well-known statistic at this point that 40% of homeless children are right. LGBT. Right. And that fact just simply goes unmentioned right. in the article. Like, right. How do we think that happens? <laughs> do we think parents have anything to do with that one? Do we think like trans kids just like being homeless? They just like decide <laughs> to go do that. Like it seems to exist in this world where like transphobia does not exist. Where, like, kids have no reason to be afraid to tell their parents about this. And again, why are we being asked to empathize with these parents? It's like, I'm now, I'm now being forced to join a far-right movement to roll back progress on LGBT rights. Just because the school started using a new name and pronouns for my kid. I'm, th there's nothing else I can do. It's like, why wouldn't we just, <laughs> why wouldn't we just ignore these people? Like, it, it, it also does the thing where it's like, they, they identify as liberals. But they like join these Facebook groups, these like, you know, concerned parents of trans kids Facebook groups <laughs> that the story itself acknowledges are like throwing around the groomer slur. Yeah. So it's like, right, we have parents who are like basically being radicalized online and who are now, if not joining, at least flirting with joining what effectively amounts to a hate movement. <laughs> and the whole story is framed around like, I, I don't want to feel like a villain for not recognizing my kid's identity. I don't want teachers to show my kids like the most basic decency of just like, I would yeah. like to be called this. Somehow it's the parents who are the victims of this. It's absolutely incredible. So uh, Michael, I have one question for you. Oh, why do you want to cancel parents? <laughs> <laughs> parents rights. Unfortunately, I'm just against all forms of parents rights. This is, this is my staunch stance. Somebody's going to clip that out of context. <laughs> I just hate it when parents have rights. So, I mean, uh, for our listeners that might not be aware of of all of this, how common is it for some of these mainstream publications to write similar articles as this? Okay, so I, for this, I, I went back and I found a list mm -hmm. of all oh, wow. of these articles that have been published this year. So this starts in June. This starts, I guess that's like seven months ago now. So... The New York Times publishes The Battle Over Gender Therapy. Then we get an Atlantic article called What to Teach Young Kids About Gender. Then we have a Reuters series that begins with As more transgender children seek medical care, families confront many unknowns. 
The second part of that series is called A Gender Imbalance Emerges Among Trans Teens Seeking Treatment. Then we have the New York Times with a story called They Paused Puberty, But Is There a Cost? Then Reuters has a piece called Why Detransitioners Are Crucial to the Science of Gender Care. The Atlantic publishes Is Defying Parents the Only Ethical Alternative? The Atlantic also publishes Take Detransitioners Seriously. And then this weekend, we got When Students Change Gender Identity and Parents Don't Know. So this is a full court press on the issue of youth transition, right? And, mm-hmm. and as we said, these are all framed in exactly the same way as like, we're, we're asking tough questions, right? Like they're, they're, they're not coming out and, and, and saying anything bigoted openly, mm-hmm. but they're just repackaging extremely bigoted narratives. And they're, they're essentially refusing to engage in a debate over the evidence on this issue. All they're doing is like, there is a debate going on. Right. It's, mm-hmm. it's very similar to the reporting we got in the 1990s about climate change. Where it's like, mm-hmm. you know, there's a there's a debate among scientists about climate change. And it's like it's like 1500 scientists on one side and like three on the other. Yeah, exactly. And these like arguments that one side were making that weren't true and like weren't credible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the other side had all the data. And it's like it's just one side of this is correct if you actually look at the evidence. But all of these articles scrupulously avoid looking at the evidence in favor of presenting all these anecdotes. So what yeah. most of these articles boil down to is a string of anecdotes of various people who've detransitioned or various people who've gone on medications and then gone off of them. Some of them have stories of things that never happened. So some of them have stories of kids who like identified as trans for a little while. And then after a couple months, they're like, oh, I don't think I'm trans. And they go back to being cis and then they're because they're they're framed around these parents that are in these deranged Facebook groups, their parents will then say, like, well, we're we're afraid that if we had taken Katie to the gender clinic, they would have told her she was trans. And it's like, right, but then nothing happened. <laughs> it's just like these like weird nothing burger anecdotes. And we're all supposed to be like, wow, wow, close one. But like we don't know what would have happened. That's like um, you know, I refuse to take my kid to the cancer clinic, uh, and now my kid doesn't have cancer for sure. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, wait, you never tested for it. <laughs> but like so many of these stories, it's like they don't even match their own premise. And even the anecdotes that they include don't mm-hmm. support the fact that there is so much panic about this issue and that there have been all these massive prominent feature stories over six months essentially asking the same question. When it's like it, it, if this is a, a real social problem, it should be trivially easy to find sources mm-hmm. who like this happened to, right? Like they were given surgery and hormones very quickly with no assessment. And even in these articles, and you can tell these journalists are looking for these stories, they're not mm-hmm. finding people who this happened to. <laughs> so like, yeah. like when, once you've looked into a couple moral panics, like you can't not see the pattern here, right? It's all of these stories about something that almost happened <laughs> or that could have happened we can't point you to any specific evidence of it actually happening. I have a couple of questions actually that kind of run off of this. And I think one that I've been wondering for a while is how do you think we got to this point where all of these different publications that all have different management are all running essentially the same stories as each other on the same issue with the same slant? 
I was going to ask you this. I do not understand <laughs> this at all. Okay. It, I'm so I, confused. I have a theory, actually. Okay. And I think it's um, that this is like what is being talked about at like liberal dinner parties. Yeah like media dinner parties in New York city amongst like a certain age of like editor or, yeah. or media manager. Yeah. I think there are some people who have a lot of influence in the industry who have radicalized some to, to certain extents. Like I'm not saying that like some of these people, like I'm not saying that like, you know, the executive editor of the New York times is like a secret turf or whatever. But I think that like there's been a lot of steady messaging in very influential media circles for several years now. And I think that it has been really effective in a way that the counter arguments haven't been. Because right. like if you look around at I really don't want to name any names, but there are several very prominent anti-trans journalists and their profiles are in a lot of cases larger than like my profile as you know a, a, a somewhat leading transgender voice in America yeah you're like the most um, famous like transgender voice in America and like there aren't that many transgender that far, voices but... <laughs> in America it's like we're always we're always being told that it's like these articles are like pushing back against the trans orthodoxy but then you look around yeah. and you're like, the, wait, where? Like, find the actual trans orthodoxy for me. Because it's not actually being expressed in any of these publications. And, like, the power imbalance is, like, so different. Like, I'm out here, I basically, like, beg for Patreon dollars right. to earn a living. By the way, patreon.com slash cancel me daddy. Yeah, support Caitlin Oliver. <laughs> um, but, like... You know, I'm basically living check to check, you know, whereas the the people who are making these media decisions certainly are not. Right. Um, oh, yeah. And again, I dispute the calling me like the most prominent trans voice. I think people like Emily St. James is certainly right, right. made a case to that or Parker Malloy. Yeah. Um, neither of whom have full time media jobs as of this week. Yeah. So. Also not columnists for the New York Times. <laughs> Right. Like the 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 gap in like <laughs> prominence and the size of the platform is like really striking. Yeah. There's just a, a power imbalance where like I you know, I don't have access to those kind of high level like Manhattan media spaces. Like I'm right. just some you know, podunk writer who used to live in DC and now who lives in an undisclosed location in New England and like, I'm not at these parties. So if somebody right. is going around saying like, oh, you know, there's 18 kids at my daughter's school who all came out as trans. And those stories are being told, yeah. you know, in these social circles. I don't think there's anybody there to go. No, that's obviously right. ridiculous. You know, it's like the Tony Dungy. I don't know if you saw Tony Dungy, who's a a retired football coach who works for NBC got in a lot of trouble recently because he tweeted about the cat litter box in oh, schools. Great. Conspiracy theory. The undying. Yeah. Like, I think these are just things that like a certain class of people are having anxiety over. Right. And that's sort of my right. unifying theory. And I don't know how that changes. Unfortunately. I also think there's something with the sort of the contrarian take 
industrial complex too. That I think mm-hmm. I'm I'm totally projecting this. I have no idea if this is true, but I feel <laughs> like an editor of a magazine. If you say like trans kids face a lot of challenges in school, I think in editor brain that sounds like well duh. Like they're a marginalized minority, it's really hard for marginalized minorities in schools, right? Whereas, hey, it, it actually we we might be moving a little too quickly on this. That's like, ooh, a counterintuitive. Like, what what an interesting new fresh take, right? <laughs> but then what happens because yeah. that that also is a kind of groupthink, right? This thing that everything has to be counterintuitive or surprising. What it means mm-hmm. is that these stories about like quote unquote obvious things, like trans kids are subject to like pretty severe bullying, including from teachers mm-hmm. and administrators. That's not like a story because it's just like, well, yeah, of course they are. Right. So, yeah. but yeah. over time you keep publishing the same <laughs> counterintuitive story. And after yeah. a while that actually becomes the conventional wisdom in a way that no one is really tracking. Like if you read five or six feature stories about too many kids transitioning too fast, that's going to be what most people believe about this issue. And mm-hmm. I, a, a friend of mine is actually transitioning his daughter at this point. She's, mm-hmm. she's very young and it's like a huge fucking hassle and like really difficult and really challenging. And that's like under the best of circumstances. And like if, if, if what we're doing is we're, we're just doing anecdotes, right, which is what most of these articles are, mm-hmm. you could easily have an anecdote about like parents trying to get their kids transition care like without health insurance, right, or in a part of the yeah. country that isn't as accepting. Right. We keep getting these stories about places, you know, whatever, a school in Portland is like doing gender yeah. ideology in the classrooms or something. But like most <laughs> kids don't go to school in Portland. Like there's huge swaths of the country where it's still very unsafe to be a trans kid. Mm-hmm. And it's just really weird that that like is, is almost completely left out of the conversation. Or maybe you get news stories about it. Right. Like I, I was searching through the New York Times archive to get all of these stories from this year. And you find things, right? Like, you know, hate crimes rise against trans people, mass shooting mm-hmm. of trans people. You, you, you find these stories, but it's like they're news stories, right? Th- these things are never yeah. sort of gathered up into these big, prominent, like big deal feature stories the mm-hmm. way that maybe kids are transitioning too fast has. You just don't get the same kind of like agenda setting narrative in the same way you get these little blips, but they're all kind of treated as like isolated incidents. Like, huh, yeah. another library got shut down. But it's not seen as like, well, uh, we're actually in the middle of a wave of like violent reactionary backlash. And like, maybe that's worth a feature story. <laughs> like it's becoming significantly less safe to be a trans person and especially a trans kid in this country now. The same weekend that the Times ran that this most recent story, I got a DM from just a random Twitter follower dad who has a trans child who's going to college. Um, in a pretty rural red state. And this dad was like, you know, my kid doesn't have a trans affirming endocrinologist within 18 hours of the school. Right, right. And and they were asking me like about some options. I don't want to get too specific about it um, on the show, but like we never hear about that right. when, when it's like you know, our kids getting transitioned too fast. Right. And you linked him up to the secret network of trans doctors that just show up at your house with a van and a bunch of syringes and just like, any kid around, want some hormones, just giving it to him. <laughs> we all know how it works. I hooked him up with my hormone dealer. Who yeah, exactly. Bathtub estrogen. You just, know, yeah, hoses so. of hormones that they're spraying <laughs> kids down with these days. No, I mean, it's like the, there are options for helping people like that. It's not bathtub hormones. Right. I was only making a joke. Please don't clip that. 
<laughs> but, um, you know, I know you've done a lot of work with like moral panics in the past. Like, how do how do moral panics like this typically end? Or do they end? Well, uh, I wish there was like a better answer on this, but typically they just sort of trail off and like no one ever learns anything. <laughs> I actually, okay. what, one thing that actually helped me see this pattern was, I forget <laughs> which episode, but I was researching a You're Wrong About episode years ago and I stumbled upon this period in America after 9-11 where, again, this totally gets memory hold. Nobody looks back. Nobody ever shows any contrition. There were like dozens of long feature stories asking whether like are are all Muslims terrorists? And like I think I think it's time to ask questions like whether all the Muslims are terrorists. And like you can go back and you can find a ton of like Newsweek and Time and Atlantic and, and New York Times articles <laughs> about this. And like it, it, it's very similar to now where they don't say it. Right. There's very few articles. I mean, on the right wing, of course, you find that. But in sort of mainstream liberal publications, you very rarely hear anybody saying. We, we should be scared of the Muslims and they're a huge threat. But what you find is this like, well, I think it's finally time to ask the question, are all mm -hmm. Muslims terrorists? Like, do they constitute a fifth column living within the United States? And then you look back and every single article about Muslim Americans was around that question, right? It was, it, yeah. it was sort of cast as forbidden knowledge or like nobody wants you to have the debate, but like that was every article. And so again, mm -hmm when you open a newspaper as a normal american you're getting you're, you're you're not getting the alleged ideology that this is pushing back against you're getting mm -hmm. this as the ideology of just like there is some threat here and in the same way there there was never any evidence that this was true like there's a million opinion polls that show that like muslims were like totally super moderate and you you'd find these i was reading one this morning there was like a pew poll that found that 95% of muslims had an unfavorable view of al-Qaeda. And that showed up in the media as 5% of Muslims have favorable view of al-Qaeda. Oh my God. Right? It's like, the, the, and, and it's the same thing that we see now where it's like these, these tiny numbers of kids that are transitioning. Like one of these Reuters articles had a separate article with like the actual data on the number of kids transitioning. And like, you know, with all that we hear about, like kids are getting surgeries and like, you know, all these mastectomies and surgeries happening, kids getting mutilated, et cetera. And the actual number of kids that were getting mastectomies every year is fewer than 300 in a country of 330 million people. It's like the actual numbers are absolutely minuscule. And we don't know to what extent those kids were assessed beforehand. Again, we have no data that those kids were not assessed. So it's like yeah. minuscule number of these procedures. Like there's just, you know, even if you think that those kids weren't assessed, it's a tiny number. So it's yeah. the same sort of thing where it's like we're looking at the data and we're seeing that this is just a false narrative. And yet we're just including it in the moral panic stories of like almost 300 kids got mastectomies last year. <laughs> like there's like 30 yeah. million kids under 18 in the United States. Like this just isn't a thing. Yeah, I mean... <sighs> It's really discouraging to hear you say that it just kind of like peters out over time because it's really hard to have faith in that when there's so much harmful stuff happening yeah. now. Yeah, exactly. That is somehow left out of this too. That is like, that's, that's not relevant context. Like the fact that trans kids are like under unprecedented attack yeah. right now. I don't even think they mentioned it in this article, did they? The Times article? I mean, usually it's like they oftentimes include these things before the but. Right. They're like, well, mm. trans kids are under a lot of attack or like Republican politicians say this, but there are legitimate questions about whether too many kids are transitioning. It's 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 usually listed in this like bloodless kind of perfunctory way 
of just like, yes, yeah. yes, yes, Republicans are trying to like ban trans people from existing. But within medicine, there's a tricky debate. It's like, well, it actually kind of seems like the thing before the butt is like worth unpacking a little bit, but it just never gets unpacked. Oh, this is also grim. <laughs> I'm like super depressed now. I know I'm here. I'm, I'm here on my little grim, grim little field trip now. I mean, one thing I will say that I, I like the fact that there's social media like th this is one mm -hmm. difference between now and, you know, the, the period after 9-11, for example, that people mm -hmm. are able to debunk these things in real time. And people are people are able to find out things like a lot of these sources were, you know, quite openly anti-trans advocates. So the fact that this stuff is actually being surfaced and like people can respond to it relatively quickly is new and gives me some hope that this moral panic will have like slightly more of a reckoning. You know, you 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 find the exact same articles about gay people in the 1990s. I'm working mm -hmm. on a, a a thing, a whole project about this. Of all the arguments against trans rights are literally identical as the arguments against gay rights, and mm -hmm. we never really had a, a reckoning with that in real time because there weren't ways for people to push back, and there weren't ways for like actual gay people to be like, "Are you kidding me with this?" Whereas now, luckily, we do actually have some platforms for people to talk about this as it's happening. So that gives me some like glimmer of sunshine that we yeah. could actually have some pushback to this in real time, although nobody ever seems to be changing their minds. This is what is also frustrating is that then we get this meta debate of like, they don't even want you to debate about trans people or like, then it just becomes <laughs> like, a, a, as opposed to being a debate about the evidence or like a chance to maybe learn yeah. from the people who are affected by this, it just becomes a sort of get in your positions, hunker down, get in your foxhole and like shoot at whoever is like criticizing your work on the internet. <laughs> um, otherwise known as the Jonathan Shate. Uh, <laughs> we said we weren't going to do names. I was told oh, we weren't going to do names on this. <laughs> well, he, he actually, he actually uh, came after me br very briefly, which I was like, oh, oh you actually do know that trans people exist. Like, That's inclusive. Good. He's, <laughs> he's coming for everybody. <laughs> Finally, some trans representation in this. <laughs> well, I wrote a piece a couple of weeks ago for um, Extra about the New York Times, and it was about their opinion page, which is like probably more horrific than their news division is. It's really shocking. Stuff. Yeah. Um, and you didn't even include the opinion pieces in your yeah 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 in your little list of work. Right. I was going so easy on them. Another, yeah, yeah. Like, at least another half dozen over that same time period yeah. on the opinion side. And like my whole point was, you have all of these people, you know, you say you want to debate, and you have all of these people who all give you the same side of the argument, and it's basically the same article, no matter who writes it. It doesn't matter if it's like news or it's opinion. It's basically the same point rehashed over and over and over again. And you don't have anybody else like giving the other side of this right. at all. And when that condition happens it's no longer a debate it's actually just a straight-up lecture like this is yeah. this is how college you know lectures go when you have a professor who has a point of view and wants you to to get it he's right. standing up there and lecturing or she's standing up there lecturing at you with no other um points of view which right. ironically is something that the right. right is allegedly concerned with on college campus, but they're perfectly right. fine with it happening on the pages of the New York times. Um, well, also it's like uh, the, my position on this is that there, there's nothing to debate because one side of the debate does not have evidence on its side. But then mm -hmm. I keep getting accused of, you know, Michael Hobbs says we're not allowed to debate the trans question. <laughs> and like, 
my my position is part of the debate. Like I'm I'm debating. This is the debate, right? It's basically yeah. show me the evidence for one side of this. And then the response yeah. I always get is like, well, you don't even want us to debate. It's like I'm debating. <laughs> I'm asking you for the evidence. And then I get these like meta arguments in response that are yeah. like Michael Hobbs is trying to shut down debate. But like I would actually love to engage in the debate. I keep asking people who write these articles, please show me the evidence that large numbers of children are transitioning without assessment and none of them mm -hmm. have been able to give me any. So I, I, I don't know why I'm the one who is seen as shutting down debate when like I'm debating. This is debate. Yeah. But you're just refusing to engage in the actual debate. You want to have the meta debate about whether we can debate the debate. It's it's absolutely absurd. It's like uh, uh, oh, this is going to be a horrible analogy, but I'm going to have fun with it. Um, it's like an NBA player playing one on one with like a middle schooler, and the NBA player just steals the ball and goes down and dunks it every time. And the kid goes, "You're not even giving me a chance to play." <laughs> you lost me at NBA player. The rest of that was gibberish <laughs> to me. I'm sorry. <laughs> Sports, you can't do sports metaphors when I come on here. I'm so sorry. <laughs> know your audience. <laughs> I need to. I need to stamp down my my former jock side. Um. I do get frustrated at like it. It it feels like there's a bunch of articles coming out about like kids being the victims of satanic cults at daycares. And like, we're mm -hmm. the ones being like, sorry, can you give me a specific incident where a child was sacrificed at a daycare? And then the response is like, oh, they don't even want you to ask questions about the daycares. And it's like, yeah. well, you have to actually consider the possibility that we're in the middle of a moral panic here. And <laughs> that, that these stories that we keep hearing about trans kids effectively function as like urban legends. Right? It's like my mom's friend's sister's cousin, he transitioned with no assessment at all and it's like <laughs> we're not getting specific cases of this and we're yeah. not getting numbers of it it's like it, it's like the razor blades and the apples at halloween and at yeah. a certain point you have to actually consider the fact that this is what's going on because this has happened before I and mean, this is not this is not a pattern that the media has never engaged in like they engaged in the same thing with gay people <laughs> they you yeah. know I, I mean in living memory the media did this well and this is all against the backdrop of all of these bills in state legislatures and like all of these conservative politicians are just flying in like these celebrity detransitioners, like the all five of them who decided yeah. that they were going to become advocates on this to these other states. And, and like people from actually from that state are there like, Hey, we couldn't find this actually happening in our right. state before. Like, right. And you know, and you know, if it happened to somebody in one of those states, they would name the bill after that. that yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Person. Oh, absolutely. It would be Lucy's you know, law like, or something. 100%. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like, I, I have like absolutely nothing against detransitioners. Yeah. I've even dated a few detransitioners uh, who some of whom retransitioned. Like, it's all very complicated stuff. Yeah. Um, and. The other part that, that like makes me mad about all of this is that that community detransitioners also gets reduced to a stereotype totally. in all of this. Yeah. Um, and it's really frustrating. Like just like trans people aren't a stereotype, just like parents of trans people aren't a stereotype. Like detransitioners aren't a stereotype. Um, and 
we're just not getting the whole story from these right. outlets. And I've tried in the past to pitch them stories about right. this. I've only been allowed to write like those glossy feature stories about trans kids like once or twice in my career. Right. Um, and I felt like I did a good job with them. Um, but I don't get those opportunities anymore. Right. Right. <laughs> so. Well, yeah, it's like it's it's like the it's like the discourse has allegedly moved on from that as if we don't need those stories mm-hmm. anymore. But that yeah. just means that those stories have completely disappeared and all of this like concern trolling is the number is really yeah. the only narrative that people are getting about trans kids at all. I actually I mean, with the other conspiracy theories that I've looked into with the detransitioner stuff. I, I I was just researching a podcast episode on, you know, these like weird conspiracy theories about the origins of COVID that people think it's like a Chinese bioweapon or like it leaked from a lab or whatever. And, and yeah. allegedly, and again, there's, there's no actual evidence of any of these things, but what you find among the people flogging those theories is like, well, I just think we should investigate, right? I just think we should be able to ask about the origins <laughs> of COVID. And then you look at actual scientists and every single scientist is like, yeah, we should. <laughs> like, we should know yeah. how COVID started. It's a, it's a once-in-a-century pandemic. We should absolutely know the origins. We should look into every single option, even if it makes us uncomfortable. And then the conspiracy theorists will just be like, well, I think we should look into it. And, like, there's no actual opposition to it, right? Like, they're, they're <laughs> arguing against something that doesn't exist. And it's the same thing yeah. with detransitioners. Is like, we keep getting these articles of, like, I think, I think we have to acknowledge that detransitioners exist. I think their experiences <laughs> matter, too. And, like, I've never heard a trans person, a cis person, publicly, privately, say that detransitioners don't exist or that, like, they are invalid as people. Like, they, detransitioners have been the center of nearly all media coverage of this issue. Like, if you look at any feature story about youth and trans kids, it will feature a bunch of detransitioners. So the idea Mm -hmm. that it's, like, it's it's finally time to acknowledge the detransitioners, again, it's arguing against a total mirage. No one actually has this belief, but it's like we keep getting scolded for like yeah. they're they're suppressing the detransitioners. And it's like the detransitioners actually seem pretty unsuppressed to me. They're everywhere. <laughs> I mean, I was having this argument with uh some of these anti-trans uh journalists like in 2016, you know, like detransitioners have been getting a platform for a long time. In fact, I've been joking. Uh, I probably shouldn't say this in public, but I've been joking in my friend's group chat that I could fake a detransition and earn a million dollars tomorrow. Ooh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Caitlin, if you ever need to, just cash it in. I'll understand. <laughs> but, like, that's the reality of the situation. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, I have 18 book deals you know, offers in five minutes if I just put that out on Twitter. So, but of course, the, the whole thing is if you detransitioned, you wouldn't get any deals. If you detransitioned and immediately started campaigning against trans rights, you would. True. That's that I think True. is the tell because the detransitioners yeah. that we always hear from are people who are explicitly advocating against transition care for yes. kids, right? And a, a, a system of youth transition care that aims to produce zero detransitioners ever would not let anyone transition. Mm-hmm. If you are trying yeah. to bring regret rates down to zero, you would not let anyone transition. And like that is a very obvious project with platforming these specific type of detransitioners, right? Yeah. The people that are immediately advocating against the kind of care that they received. Because no one actually yeah. like no one actually gives a shit about the detransitioners that don't have this chip on their shoulder. It's only this one kind of detransitioner that we hear from. And so that to me is like, again, the huge tell 
that mm-hmm. none of this is being done in good faith. It's just an excuse yeah. to try to ban and restrict youth transition while pretending that's not what you're doing. You see it also um, with a discourse over this weekend's piece in the Times where, uh, you know, a lot of very reasonable people responded to it with, well, you know, if if the kid was gay, would this still be the same situation? And the, you know, the anti-trans side will say, well, no, like gay kids shouldn't be added to their parents, although I think they're just saying that to save face yeah you know they'll they'll say but being gay and being trans is different they right. required handling it in a different way and that different way that they're talking about is literally conversion therapy right right um but you can't say that you want to do conversion therapy on gay kids because right. then you'll give the game away <laughs> yeah and also i mean I, I i thought one of the most troubling things about that piece this weekend was this graduation from concern over medical treatments, right? That the the thing that mm-hmm. we've been hearing is like, I'm not anti-trans. I'm just concerned about irreversible medical procedures being done on children, right? That's always mm-hmm. been the excuse for the last like three years and how they've really sucked a lot of like otherwise well-meaning people into this issue. And then this article mm-hmm. this weekend was explicitly about kids using a new name and new pronouns at school, which is completely mm-hmm. reversible, has nothing to do with medicine, Teachers are not signing kids up for hormones. This is literally just like a basic recognition of trans identities. And we see the same people having the same meltdown, right? That they're like, oh, this is happening in the schools and it's too fast, da, da, da. And it's like all of a sudden we've graduated from irreversible medical procedures to like basic recognition and something that's totally reversible. Like who cares if a kid uses a different name at school? But all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, because it's trans kids, all of a sudden it's like a huge crisis. Yeah. Well, their excuses, they say that social transition leads to permanent, you know, irreversible medical treatment. Um, And if you actually sit back and and analyze that worldview, it's actually incredibly bleak. Like, if your position is that any gender variance will eventually lead to permanent medical transition you could actually make a case for the state like strongly regulating everybody's gender appearance right, right. um presentation in every way and that's actually like a, a a a literal dystopia right yeah because if if social transition leads to hormones and surgeries then like trying on your sister's dress leads to social transition so that's right. also on the same path. I mean, to exactly. me, it feels like with the social transition stuff that it's like, if if you're concerned about kids getting surgeries before you know they know whether they're quote unquote really trans, you would want them to socially transition. If if mm-hmm. any of this was being done in good faith, you would make social transition yeah. as easy as possible for kids so they can test out their new gender identity. The fact that people are now melting down about social transition, just like we're we're done here. <laughs> Right. It's like yeah. it's it's just anti-trans nonsense. And it like it always has been. That's always been obvious. But it's like with this stuff, it's like you're you're now against teachers just giving a name to a kid like that, that the kid wants. Yeah. Like we're now fretting about that and pretending that like that's some sort of like intractable dilemma when it's just like call kids what they want to be called. <laughs> and like. <sighs> I don't even know if using pronouns even really amounts to social transition. It's just like a kid is doing this. They're experimenting. Give them the space to experiment. Some kids are going to do it for a week. Some kids are going to do it forever. 
Like, it's not really yeah. a teacher's job to say and to like litigate this stuff. Be like, well, what what mental health meds are you on? I'm not going to do this unless I really know. It's like just be <laughs> nice to children. Uh, Michael, as always, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on. <laughs> always fun. I don't know if fun is the right word, but it's always it's always <laughs> something to come on and talk about bad stuff. I mean, it's it's fun to rant sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> So, Caitlin, are you ready for some out-of-context cancellations? You know, I've missed these, like, so dearly. Look, the the cancel daddy has been feeling the need to cancel. There's been a lot of repression over here <laughs> without having these out-of-context cancellations. Um, and I, I, think, I think I need this catharsis right now. All right. Who are you canceling first? Well, our, our listener wanted to cancel Republicans, and I'm down for that. Always down to cancel Republicans, but I'm like, can we just can we just cancel the Democrats too? Can we just like get rid of all of it? Can we just start over? <laughs> I feel like canceling Republicans could literally be on every show. Yeah, yeah. I just needed to make it a little spicier. <laughs> I had to be messy. Oh, I love this next one. Uh, we're canceling mandatory parking minimums. Is that like fees or tickets? No, I believe it's when uh, when a new development is built. Minimum, there's a minimum number of parking spaces that must be created to accommodate each development. Ah, the car lobby. Yeah. The car lobby taking the streets from the people. Okay, yeah, th- okay. This strikes right at my nerdy little urbanist heart. <laughs> um, we are also going to cancel Seattle's mayor. Yeah, I mean... Isn't she a cop? Uh, this is out of context cancellation. I am not required to know anything more <laughs> than what the cancellation is. <laughs> and closely related to cops, we have lawyers. <laughs> you know, to be fair, are the listener that asked to cancel this is a lawyer. Oh, okay. Well, sorry about that. <laughs> self-awareness is great. We love self-awareness. <laughs> um. Why would a lawyer want to cancel lawyers? <laughs> I'm not a lawyer, and so I feel like anything that I'm going to say is going to be bigoted against lawyers, perhaps, and okay, get me canceled. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I feel like there are times when I would cancel myself. So I, I you know, okay. I think it's it's okay. That's true. But like, love yourself too. We don't want the self hate. Yeah, no self hate unless it's me hating myself. No, that's not allowed either. <laughs> We're also going to cancel mandatory publishing of notices for name changes. Yeah, that's some bullshit. Also getting harder and harder to do. Yeah, because like newspapers don't have like classified sections to easily run those notices. I didn't even have that requirement when I got my name changed in Maine. That's that's good. I haven't I haven't gone on that journey. I'm I'm too stressed about the bureaucratic bureaucratic paperwork. <laughs> it's a relief when it's over. I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. Um, we're going to cancel tonsillitis and sinus infections. Yeah, that seems pretty reasonable. Yeah, I hate that shit. Uh, we're going to, this next one is a big, like, fear of mine, so I'm totally down with it, but, like, we're canceling death. Yeah, it's it's a big fear of mine, too, and and death is bad, but also, like, what happens when the apocalypse comes and the earth is on fire and is uninhabitable like what what is that what is that end game well i don't plan on being here when it happens so but if we cancel death yeah 
and you are here. Oh, I see what you're saying. I'm sorry, not not to be pedantic. I feel like we just totally brought down the vibe of this episode. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm I'm like the biggest Debbie Downer. Um, you know what? Let's let's bring the vibe up. We're canceling bosses, baby. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I hope my boss doesn't hear this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, we're also gonna cancel the wedding industrial complex. Yeah, I mean, I'm past the age where like. My friends are getting married, <laughs> so thank God I'm over with I, that. I like have had so few friends get married. It's really I've been to one wedding in my adult life. It was lovely, yeah. Um, and yeah, um, apparently, apparently, I am amongst my people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, way back when the dinosaurs roamed the earth, and I was a uh, young adult. It seems like there was three or four weddings a year, and uh, that was too many, I think. We're going to cancel requiring an updated birth certificate in order to change names on accounts. That's super fair, and it sounds like a number of our trans listeners are having a not good time with paperwork and bullshit. And I hope that that changes soon, because I don't love that for you. What if we just cancel paperwork? (gasps) Oh my god, I would love that, Caitlin. <laughs> I would love that. You know how much easier and less stressful my life would be if I just didn't have to deal with that kind of bullshit? <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. No, that... Mm, yes. We're, we're getting rid of it. It's gone forever. That's not going to be a problem when I don't do any of my paperwork, right? Like, that's not going to come back to bite me? <laughs> no, that never. Could <laughs> Um, so one of our listeners asked us to cancel brains for rejecting food with wrong texture. And like, I get it. My, my brain doesn't like a lot of food textures. It's very frustrating. Um, it can make, can just make, you know, those eating difficult, frustrating, or hard to try new foods and things like that. And so there are definitely like things about this that I don't like, but I, I I would like to keep my brain. I would like my brain not to be canceled. (laughs) So I'm I'm really on the fence about this one. <laughs> I have no thoughts on that. My head is empty. My brain has been canceled. Um, last, Bless. Lastly, we're canceling seasonal depression and feelings. Um, yes to the first one. And like, yes to the second one. Well, no, good feelings are good. And also, okay, okay. I hear, I hear the listener. A lot of feelings are uncomfortable. Yeah. But if you don't feel your feelings, it can like cause like chronic stress in your body and pain. Oh. And so you got to feel your feelings. Now, if 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 we're inventing a world, if the cancel daddy can make it so you don't have to feel your feelings, I still want you to feel joy. Can we just cancel the bad ones? Maybe. Like, let's just cancel the bad ones. I feel like if we canceled feelings, you wouldn't have feelings about your feelings. Right, but then you wouldn't feel joy. And that would be sad. It's like feelingception. Feelingception. Okay, that's, um, we're going to end there. This this segment is over. (laughs) If you'd like to submit an out-of-context cancellation of your own, you can do that by joining our Discord, which you can access by becoming a $5 a month subscriber on our Patreon. And you can get more information on that at patreon.com slash cancelmedaddy. 
Today's show was made by me, Olive Rash Klein, and my incredible co-host, Caitlin Burns. D. Peter Schmidt made our theme song and Eden M.W. designed our graphics. Our show is made possible by the incredible cancelers supporting our work, especially the members of our Cancelor Hall of Fame, with the great power to cancel all of their enemies, Meg, Dahlia, and Catherine. We appreciate your support. Happy canceling! Happy canceling!